0: This episode of the Supply Chain Brain podcast is supported by Sigfox, the world's leading connectivity service for the Internet of Things. Be sure and stick around after the discussion for a look at the company. But now, on to the podcast. In the age of the Internet of Things, how can we track essential but lower-valued goods and equipment throughout the supply chain? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. We don't lack for data anymore. The Internet of Things has made sure of that. We're living in a world where every imaginable kind of device can broadcast endless amounts of information about its location and status. The problem lies in making sense of that potential chaos of intelligence, and is especially acute when it comes to the monitoring of lower-valued items. In the past, they were either tracked inadequately or not at all. The cost of linking them into the system was just too great, but not anymore. Today, we have the Low Power Wide Area Network, or LPWAN, which makes possible asset tracking throughout the chain. We're going to hear about the technology from Michael Orr, Vice President of Sales and Partnerships with Sigfox. He'll explain what the Internet of Things ecosystem looks like today, and why he believes that virtually all devices will become smart and connected within the next 5 to 10 years. So here is my conversation with Michael Orr. Michael Orr, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me here today. I appreciate it.
0: Michael, how good a job are we doing today of tracking assets through the supply chain?
1: Well, at the very high level in the supply chain, high value items are tracked reasonably well through the system. It may be a matter of tracking things when they hit a particular depot, and so the information that the tracking information is not available at every particular location that it travels, but it is at at the depot level. However, it really only applies to higher value assets today. So things like expensive containers or expensive equipment or expensive content, televisions, things like that, or expensive uh, vehicles, trucks, things of that nature. But it doesn't really apply to lesser expensive, lesser value items. So many, many lesser value items are not tracked Maybe not at all today. They may be tracked manually or, in rare cases, by RFID technology, kind of older technology, or they may not be tracked at all.
0: Is that a function of the cost of the technology up to now, that it simply wasn't economically viable to do so?
1: Yes, it's largely due to two factors. Cost, and that's in terms of how much does it cost to build the device to do the tracking and the cost of the connectivity itself. And most things are are requiring a battery in there. And so it's also a factor of not having the low-power battery technology to enable things to last a long time under battery power. So I'd say really those two things keep it from happening today.
0: Talking about all the different steps and possible failures within a supply chain, where are the biggest gaps in visibility and tracking today as you see it, especially from the standpoint of lower-value assets?
1: Truly in the truly mass market part of of the equation, all the smaller stuff that gets shipped today. So think in terms of pallets, shipping containers, the kind of content that would travel on pallets, anything from consumer goods, food, chocolates, candies, all the way up through lesser expensive consumer electronics. Those kind of things are essentially not being tracked very well today at all. Uh, either the content itself, the goods themselves, or the vehicle or, or container that they travel in, none of which are being tracked very accurately today.
0: We seem to be talking about two different things here. One is the tracking of the actual transportation equipment and assets, the pallets, the trucks, the containers, the trailers. The other is what's in it. In terms of those two things, where are we doing the better job and where do we need the most work to be done?
1: Certainly at the lower asset value part of the market, part of the supply chain, they can be more or less synonymous. If you're transporting goods on a pallet, the goods that are on the pallet you know, travel with the pallet, and therefore the pallet information is relatively the same as the content of the information uh, as it pertains to the content. So temperature, vibration, or location applies equally to the pallet as it does to the content. But... In the era we're now entering into with cheaper silicon, cheaper connectivity, benefits brought to us by cloud computing, it's possible to separate those two and track the container separately from the contents. You could conceivably now put low-cost tracking capability in a box of chocolate bars or on that pallet. So both of those are are, are equally capable of being tracked and and, uh, monitored today
0: it does seem as though the actual transportation equipment tracking would be more the concern of the carrier. I'm sure the shipper doesn't so much care about where a container is as it cares about what the where the contents of that container is. So you have two different groups who have maybe diverging interests in terms of what it is they want to be tracked and how granular they want that tracking to be.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. The new capabilities that are available today through the Internet of Things mm-hmm. enables a manufacturer or a shipper to track whatever they want to track. But I'd say yes, the shipping industry, the logistics industry, has a different set of items that they'd like to track from those manufacturers that are shipping goods through that channel. Very similar, but also different.
0: All right, well, you brought up the Internet of Things. Let's talk about that. It's been with us for a few years now how mature is it in terms of the amount of data that is available in terms of reporting on these various assets?
1: Well, first of all, the Internet of Things is just a buzzword. Nobody buys the Internet of Things. Uh, Nobody ships that or does anything with it in particular. People buy a solution to a problem is what they buy. And to answer the question directly, the higher end of the Internet of Things has been around for a while and is fully available today. If you're willing to spend some money to instrument and use traditional cellular or other ways to transport the data, it's fairly high cost, but it is available today and has been available for a long time. If what you mean by the Internet of Things is the ability to really track anything at low cost, new low-cost kinds of networks are only now becoming available to enable us collectively to track things at a much lower cost much more power efficient than we've ever been able to before. And those kind of networks and those kind of devices are just now becoming available in wide enough coverage and wide enough deployment to make a difference.
0: What has happened to make that possible? Is it just the usual curve of technology, costs coming down as something becomes more popular, or is the technology itself evolved to the point where it's now cheaper and more available to track the lower asset type of materials?
1: Well, it's it's both. It's uh, certainly from the network side. It has been recently, the last few years, discovered or thought that there was a new network need that needed to be tailored specifically to the Internet of Things to drive the cost down. Uh, Traditional cellular networks are designed to support high amounts of data to phones, to devices with screens. Lots of information is going to come through there, so high data rates for videos, things like that. And that's not particularly well-suited to a lot of devices. Think in terms of on, off, empty, full, location kind of devices. You know, a new class of networks has come about called low-power wide-area networks, LPWANs, which are very well-suited towards small amounts of data at very low cost at very low power. So that's one trend. The other trend that's happening is that the cost of silicon the chips and devices has dropped dramatically the cost of cloud computing has dropped dramatically. The cost of analytics in the cloud has dropped dramatically. So once you put all of those things together, the confluence of all of those kinds of things coming together in a very cost-effective manner enables you to achieve insights into the business process at scale that we were never able to do before at these kind of price points. So the combination of those two things, the cheap, low-cost networks are now available at low power, And all this connectivity and cloud capability, cloud computing and analytics at the cloud level to allow you to see the analytics and how it applies to improving your business process, that's only become available the last couple of years. So to me, that's really what the Internet of Things is all about.
0: I would think that the Internet of Things also presents the challenge of potentially providing us with too much data so much data out there, we don't necessarily need it all. How do we decide what information and data we really need? How do we drill down to that? I mean, you talked a little bit about the the low-power technology allowing for small amounts of data. How does a company begin to sift through this massive information to find out what it is they really need to know?
1: I think that really starts with the company deciding what it is they want to achieve and then generating the sensors and the data that do exactly that and not more. That's a common problem is that folks that want to implement something in the Internet of Things domain may well go for overkill in that regard. They do too much complexity and it generates too much data for when they really may only need on, off, position location, empty, full, stuff like that, rather than I need a video of the device traveling through the system, therefore I need the bandwidth to deliver that video. So it's a matter of sitting down and identifying what exactly it is you want to achieve, determine what you're trying to achieve as a business outcome, and what the ROI is on that. Once you understand that fully, you can tailor the equipment, the sensors, and the kind and amount of data to that particular application. I think it's all about knowing exactly what it is you're trying to achieve.
0: It seems that you could approach the issue of tracking from three different ways. You could demand constant visibility of stuff in transit and in an inventory. You could be asking for regular progress reports as something moves through the various stages of the supply chain. Or you could be asking merely for exception reporting, which simply tells you when something has gone wrong or beyond variances that you previously set. Is that up to the individual user as to which of those three is used, or is one of them preferable as a rule?
1: No, I think that's very much a user-chosen kind of parameter, and you're very much correct. For a lot of cases, maybe early on when they're figuring out how to apply it, how to work, they want data reporting all the way through this so they can see it, and then as it matures and they understand it, they can dial that back to what's most cost-effective in terms of actual dollars and what's most effective in terms of power consumption. But very much unique to the application.
0: We all know, of course, the adage of garbage in, garbage out. And I guess it also translates into in order to get valuable information, someone's got to put that in in the first place. Now, does the IoT, does the Internet of Things solve the problem of achieving end-to-end visibility in multi-tier supply chains when you have multiple tiers of suppliers Many, as you go farther up the chain, may be less sophisticated or less willing or less able to share the critical information that you need for tracking and visibility. Is that still an issue, or is the Internet of Things addressing that in a very powerful way today?
1: Well, the Internet of Things will certainly enable the ability to track cost-effectively, power-effectively, at all levels through the supply chain and multi-tiers. So the capability to do it will be enabled. Now, the issue about what is shared, what travels through the system, what is analyzed, what's shared between companies, what's shared between individuals, that all yet has to be worked out. So the capability will be provided by the Internet of Things, but the actual arbitration of who can have what data and who's going to release it to whom, that still has to be worked out. I wouldn't consider that necessarily an Internet of Things-specific task, but it certainly will be pressured by the amounts of data that come through the internet of things.
0: As more and more data ends up on the network, more and more critical data, proprietary data and the like, security has to be a concern. Where are we today, in your opinion on that, in keeping this data secure and yet totally available to those who need it?
1: Well, so much security is a constant issue, a constant concern, but I think many, many factors in the industry today have gone a long ways towards making the data secure Uh, There are networks available today that use a variety of techniques to uh, keep things as secure as possible. Certain low-power wide-area networks are device-driven, so they're not on the network until that explicit moment when they need to talk. Therefore, they're not available to hack most of the time, as an example. So I think many, many things are happening and going on in the marketplace to make things very secure.
0: You alluded to the fact that the IoT technology we're talking about today is relatively young. Where are we now in terms of adoption of this technology and what analyst projections have you seen for IOT adoption in the supply chain over, say, the next five years?
1: Well, I think like everyone in the business, we've seen uh, very conservative estimates of what will happen in the marketplace and very optimistic estimates of what will happen in the marketplace.
0: My own view
1: on this is that due to the cheapness of silicon and, and cloud and all of that that we discussed about earlier, it will be a very rare device or object that is not enabled for connectivity over the next five years. I think essentially everything will be enabled with connectivity. So I see the market as essentially infinite. Any device produced from wooden pallets to shipping crates to even envelopes will be smart in the future. The technology will be there to do it at reasonably low cost, very good power consumption, so they will be connected. So the question will be, what do you do with it now that it is connected? And I I think in a lot of cases that that has yet to be determined. I think it's driven by a specific business case, a specific business outcome, and specific ROI. But to answer your question directly, I believe most everything will be connected over the next five to 10 years.
0: Michael, would you tell me about Sigfox, please? What is the company and what does it offer the marketplace?
1: Sigfox is a network operator. We are targeting specifically low-power, wide-area networks, just like we discussed earlier in the conversation. We are the network provider. We don't provide the devices. We don't provide the the chips or the silicon or the modules themselves. But we do develop all that stuff in conjunction with a big ecosystem of partners. So we provide the network and we work with an ecosystem of partners to develop the chips, silicon, the devices, the software, the platforms to bring all these solutions to market for our customers.
0: When was the company founded?
1: The company was founded in 2009 in France. It became operational in France in 2013. Because it came from France to start with, we have most of Western Europe covered now with SigFox capability. We have a target of 60 countries by the end of 2018, we are currently in 32 countries today in various stages of deployment. Western Europe is mostly complete today with uh, six bucks coverage. We here in the United States are about 20% population covered in the US. Latin America is coming along uh, rapidly. So we are rapidly expanding globally to deliver those 60 countries worth of coverage.
0: Meanwhile, the technology continues to develop and evolve, and I'm wondering, since the formation of Sigfox, how has your own offering evolved and changed in keeping with technological improvements?
1: Well, that's a good question. We have a rapidly expanding ecosystem. So in the last two years, we've gone from maybe 25 or 30 devices available in the marketplace, over 200 devices available in the marketplace. And it runs the gamut from tracking modules for shipping containers to smoke detectors to fire extinguishers to smart utilities to smart cities to smart agriculture. It's very, very wide ranging. So our technology now covers I won't say infinite, but a very large number of verticals with a very large number of devices, and it is growing rapidly. The system is very secure. We talked about it earlier in the discussion. We continue to evolve the security to make it ever more so. Uh, Sigfox is a network that's connected via the device. So only when the device itself wants to transmit is it connected. So it's only connected for a very short period of time, making it hard to hack, therefore very, very much secure relative to other networks. So there's been a lot of technology, a lot of evolution going on, and uh, Sigfox has done a very good job of keeping pace with all of that.
0: What has changed in terms of the types of devices by which customers might access the Sigfox network?
1: The technology of Sigfox certainly enables the smallest silicon footprint, meaning the modem is very small, but that also enables very, very small devices. So tracking devices can be made very small. But also the breadth of devices has changed dramatically, as I was alluding to earlier. There are many different kinds of devices available on Sigfox today, and that keeps growing. So we probably have virtually any device now off the shelf that would meet your requirements. And if we don't, it's very easy to build one. We have the, the modems available at very low cost, the development kits available at very low cost, and we can build a device very quickly at very low cost. So those things keep evolving.
0: Michael Orr, I want to thank you so much for speaking with us about the progress of the Internet of Things and its impact on the tracking of assets in the multi-tier supply chain, as well as talking to us about Sigfox itself. Thank you very much for being with us.
1: Well, thank you very much for having us today. We really appreciate it.
0: That was my conversation with Michael Orr of Sigfox, talking about the state of supply chain tracking in the Internet of Things. Our thanks to Sigfox for sponsoring this episode. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at scbrain.